you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Outstanding Ohioans. Hello. Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioans show. My name is Ron Solico, and this is episode number 30. Today I've got the pleasure of talking to Laura DeYoung, who has many titles. She is the Executive Director of Urban Shepherds. She is the Environmental Planner for NEFCO. And she is the Shepherdess of Spicy Lamb Farm in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park area of Northeast Ohio. And I'm sure Laura is going to go into detail explaining all those positions. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I came across Laura from reading a blog post of Gene Logson, who is episode 7 guest, and he talked about an Urban Shepherds event that is being held this Saturday in Northeast Ohio, and I know Laura's going to talk about that. Uh, First, Laura, can you give a little bit of background on yourself? Well, I first became a schoolgirl when I lived in the United Kingdom and uh, returned to the States and um, pursued a career in environmental planning and then the two professions or the two interests came together with the creation of Urban Shepherds. Um, it's a environmentally um, good management tool for, land, for vegetation management, and it's uh, encouraging uh, feeder sheep uh, in the urban areas and uh, contributing to the industry. Great. And, um, you know, talk about Urban Shepherds. What what time frame are we talking about here? When did when did you start bringing that to the Ohio area? We created the nonprofit organization as a 501c3 in 2011, and probably because I was the only planner or person anyone knew that had sheep in Northeast Ohio, I was contacted to say, "Can we mow the sheep?" And uh, well, why not? And we did a lot of research, looked at how it's being done in other places in the United States and in the world. I actually modeled our um, concept from Brighton, England, to some extent, over there, over there, and started helping people um, acquire feeder sheep to manage vegetation during the months of May through October or June through October, depending on the weather, as a feeder operation, saving money on mowing, and potentially making money off of the sheep operation, reducing the environmental impact, and creating a sense of place. And people literally flock to the sites to see the sheep. <laughs> Sorry for the pun. <laughs> and, and for the audience, can you can you define feeder sheep? What does that mean? Um, when you're raising sheep, some people for a feeder operation will buy lambs that have just been weaned from ewes and put them on grain and feed them up until they're at the right weight to be sold at market. Um, the idea behind this is that we just bring them along slowly, grass-fed, which is a preference to a lot of consumers in the United States, and then when they're done doing their job for the summer, then they can go to market. And for the people that don't want to know where the food comes from, um, we look at um, bringing in new um, lambs or news um, that have been had their lambs moved from them and caring for them during the maintenance period of time until they go back to their farms in the winter. 
And the idea is that the urban shepherd doesn't have to worry about lambing, doesn't have to worry about breeding, doesn't have to worry about putting half a ton of hay up for animal for winter. You know, another term that you mentioned was grass management. Talk about, and you talked about your environmental concerns with that. What What is the impact of the typical homeowner mowing their grass with machinery versus the benefits from a flock of sheep? Well, the emissions the, uh, from a lawnmower um, are, I think, something like 16 times more than driving an automobile. I'm not sure about that quotation exactly, but there certainly is a, uh, an impact from using a lawnmower. And um, in addition, instead of putting down a lot of fertilizer, etc., on the land, the sheep are, um, if you will, fertilizing as they move through the landscape. So it reduces the cost of labor. It reduces the fertilizer being put down in the ground and the cost associated with that. And it reduces the um, emissions um, for protecting our air quality. Mm-hmm. And also in terms of runoff, too, you're going to have less runoff um, in terms of water quality. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why it's an environmentally better thing to do. And also, I like the idea of um, producing something more productive than grass clippings. Mm-hmm. They're just going to be composted somewhere and not utilized. Um, we're actually producing meat and wool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the one of the misconceptions that people have with livestock is, in some cases, justified, is the the ability to manage the manure. Talk about the the manure from sheep is really very low impact. Can you can you talk about that? Well, the sheep drop very small pellets, and those are usually consumed by night crawlers. And if you're managing your flock in the correct manner, you're doing rotational grazing when they're moved every two to three days. And so um, you're not going to have an impact from overgrazing or from the sheep remaining in one area for a long period of time like they would on a barnyard uh, lot, if you will. So um, if you manage the sheep well with your rotational grazing, you're reducing your parasite problem, which... Um, is one of the predators that sheep have, along with dogs on fleece and coyotes, and you're um, reducing any impact you have on the landscape. You want to keep your lawn, uh, your vegetation about three inches, um, and just keep moving them periodically around, almost like in 12 sections, like a clock. And the mm-hmm. more you move them, the more they know. You can even move them every half day if you wanted to, depending mm-hmm. on the amount of time and labor that you have. And we found as a solution to managing the sleep sheep in, in the city that uh, people were um, wanting to become volunteer shepherds. And we actually had a waiting list of 50 people on our pilot project. Hmm. And uh, so what we were doing on, with those uh, projects is that the local community could volunteer to help move the sheep, moving the electric fencing, moving them around the site, um, checking them every day to make sure they have water and milk. And we probably have more eyes on the sheep that are doing this vegetation management than they would at home on their home farm. Okay. I, I know I, want, I wanted to ask you more specifically about some of the projects you're working on in the Cleveland area in a moment. Uh, 
Can you speak to, just to get a sense for, for someone that might start thinking, okay, I, I want to do this. How many, let's say on an acre, how many sheep can an acre of grassland sustain? Well, not all grasslands are going to be created equally, so okay. you're going to have to look at your the quality of your vegetation. But uh, as a ballpark answer, I would say that an acre of land can manage about four to six sheep. Okay. So, and you don't want to have less than three sheep because they get depressed if they're all alone, just like people. Okay. So, um, uh, you want to have you know a group of three or more, and you can move them around. And I think it's a really great solution, even for not only the urban area. But the suburban areas when people are rolling around on 5.01 acres and spending their weekends mowing the lawn when they could look out their window and see these aesthetically pleasing sheep doing the job for them. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned this, and I, I, and I think this is a, a potential appeal for people. Can you talk about the fencing systems that you use so you can rotate the sheep in those sections? Well, there's a couple different fencing solutions that you can use in the urban areas. We recommend for your perimeter fencing, if it's going to be permanent, you want to use um, um, woven wire fencing or cattle panel fencing that you can pound down with T-posts. You can, for internally, as you move them from place to place, use cattle panel, or you can use electric netting fencing. Some people will use um, power lines and at their home farms, electric netting fencing for the perimeter. But in urban areas where people aren't educated on the fact that they'll get shocked if they touch it, (laughs) um, we tend to suggest that people use that only in the interior when they're rotating them around a site or when the public does not have access to um, walk up to the edge of the uh, field where the sheep are grazing. Okay. Uh, can you? And I had the privilege of talking to you earlier, and, and you sh- you you went into some of the projects. Can can you talk about in the Cleveland area some of the undertakings you, your organization's having? Well, we had our first pilot project in downtown Cleveland, and now we've encouraged other people to start their own projects. Um, we have some uh, people that are running their own projects for profit. Um, we're working with the R, uh, RTA. Um, on a couple of pilot projects for this year. And we're also working with the city of Detroit who are working on the zoning to get it in place for the future. Um, the city of Akron, there's going to be a pilot project at Mutton Hill. The founder of the city of Akron, um, Perkins, um, was actually a shepherd along with John Brown, the abolitionist, and those two properties are now being called Mutton Hill. They're saved, they're preserved by the Summit County Historic Society, and they're bringing sheep back to the city of Akron. And there's several other cities and communities and um, suburban areas where uh, folks are are moving towards putting sheep in place. One of the problems is it's easy to do in the state of Ohio in townships, but in municipalities, the history of our zoning dating back about 100 years ago is that it was often implemented because livestock in the cities were considered a nuisance. So in some cases, uh, zoning has to be put in place in order for um, uh, small groups, small ruminants, which would be sheep and goats, to graze in the city. So we're working on model zoning and helping communities uh, put 
together the zoning codes so that they can't allow sheep in the areas. And there are some communities that don't prohibit it. So the first step, if you're thinking about doing it, is to look at your zoning and see what you are and aren't allowed to do in terms of urban farming. And, uh, and then move from there. And we're certainly willing to help anybody navigate those waters and work with their communities to make sure that um, they're committed to graze with sheep. Okay. Uh, you mentioned something to me earlier about the Ohio Revised Code statute relating relating to sheep. Can you talk about that? Oh uh, well, not really relating to sheep, but what I was talking about is that we have a large lot of large lot zoning in the state of Ohio um, because uh, a lot of developers or landowners get around uh, subdivision regulations by splitting up lots into. Uh, uh, parcels larger than five acres. So that's what I mentioned before, the 5.01 acres. So I think that people who are finding themselves having converted maybe natural areas that were providing green infrastructure or farmland that they're now creating grass clippings and spending all their time mowing these lots um, would be another um, potential um, landowner who might want to consider grazing or sheep. Okay. Two two questions I have, and the first one, something we always talk about on this show is why you got into your endeavor that that we're talking about. What what why did you get interested in sheep? Well, as I said before, I was living in England as a schoolgirl, and my mother. Well, I wanted to have sheep, and I wanted to learn to play the bagpipes. So my mother said, sheep smell, and the bagpipes were too noisy. So now I'm doing both. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't know. I think that I got interested in urban planning um, and, and from living in a country where they have top-down planning compared to the United States. didn't really realize it until later. And... Um, um, just uh, an interest in preserving the environment and the two sort of began to mesh together mm-hmm. where um, you know I even mow my own lawn with sheep so when it's time to mow the lawn um, you know the gate goes open and the sheep come out and they take care of it and then they're sent back to the fields where, um, where they do their rotational grazing so my own lawn around the house is part of my rotation in the summer Okay. Um, something that I wanted to explore more with you from our previous conversation is: Can you speak to the impact and and the, some of the numbers you shared with me about the sheep industry in Ohio and the impact that that makes on the state? Well, there, the American sheep industry um, in the United States is actually the oldest livestock organization of all. We're 150 years old this year, and even older than the cattle industry. But the average American only eats about a half pound of lamb per year. Um, the biggest consumers are, are more of the ethnic groups and the foodies and people who are more in the urban areas. But even so, with such a small market for lamb, 50%, over 50% um, of the lamb in the United States is coming from Australia and New Zealand. So we're failing to meet demand for the industry. So there's whole potential for growth, and if we can get a bunch of urban shepherds growing and raising sheep and 
less traditional places in the rural setting uh, that we can help meet that demand and um, boost the local economy. And uh, personally, I think they're um, an easier animal to raise. I grew up as in an equestrian family, and I tell you, my whole flock is easier than one horse. <laughs> Something that's so interesting is the urban farming movement in the vacant lots, whether it's fruits, vegetables, and now you're talking about sheep. Can you do you have an example of a, a really neat personal story that of someone or a group of people in a community that you've worked with? Hmm. Well, I have one landowner who was. Um, quite excited when he saw people coming out with their shepherd's crook and the flock coming around. He thought it was something like out of a scene with Moses. <laughs> and we also had an experience once with the pilot project where I had a non-traditional border collie. Uh, she was tricolored instead of black and white out helping me. And uh, the, the neighborhood was so well trained about uh, predators, potential predators of dogs off leash that the phone rang off the hook. So we had plenty of eyes and ears that were excited and protective of those sheep. And um, uh, I've even heard of one landowner um, uh, in an apartment building um, uh, talking about a sheep side view <laughs> <laughs> of a lot next to him that was used for uh, grazing. So um, it's, been, it's been exciting. When we first started it in Cleveland, Wally the trolley even would drive by and stop and see the sheep on their tour. Mm. So it's exposing people, you know, a lot to, um, you know, something new. And I don't want to just limit this to sheep either. We can also use goats for, for grazing as well. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, in areas that are overgrown and uh, need to be cleared, goats are a better solution to uh, clearing than sheep are. Mm. Um, they have different browsing. Um, habits from sheep. Okay. okay. Uh, going back to earlier in the interview, you, you talked about feeder sheep and you talked about just recently that we're, the, the demand is really exceeding the supply in the United States. What What's the business model look like for someone that would want to raise feeder sheep? They raise them, and then what's what's the next step after the, the sheep are ready? Well, you know, you're going to have a little expense getting started. You're going to need to buy your fencing, your portable fencing. You're going to need to, um, you know, um, get some supplies like, you know, your water and mineral and your water feeder and, and uh, maybe a movable shelter for them. And obviously, you need to educate yourself on this. Um, that's one of the things the nonprofit does. Where we don't want people running around with these romantic ideas of having um, sheep without knowing what they're doing. We want them to do it the right way, so we offer training. We're also very lucky in the state of Ohio to have the Ohio Sheep Improvement Association and Roger High, who puts on Ohio Sheep Day in July every summer, mid-July. And, um, and then the Buckeye Shepherd Symposium, which is usually in, in Worcester in December, so we have a lot of great resources to get people started. The other costs involved would be actually purchasing the lambs, um, which uh, you know is the ideal model here instead of leasing sheep. Um, you would purchase them at you know the weight when they're being weaned, 
and then you would hopefully sell them for a profit at the end of the season, um, taking them to market. Um, there are other some things, you know, you have some drenching to help manage parasites and um, and uh, potentially some labor if you're not using volunteers, moving them around if you need to bring somebody in with a border collie or need some assistance from a professional shepherd. But uh, the idea here is, I mean, at minimum, it should be a turnkey operation from the cost of mowing. It's not reducing the cost by at least half. And you have the potential of, you know, putting at least 50 pounds or, or more, maybe even 100, on those animals, depending on the breed, and selling them for profit at the end of the season. And one of the... Uh, um, uh, one of the ethnic groups um, have a holiday in October, um, so that's a great time to be ready to take them off the site anyway so you can sell them directly to there. We are also working with, we, we recently, a group of us got a grant from Sustainable Agricultural Research Education to start the North Coast Land Co-op in the Cleveland area. The average farm in the state of Ohio is about 40 head. So even the traditional sheep farmers don't have enough to supply one restaurant or grocery store. So this could be an avenue for um, folks that are raising sheep for for maintenance, lawn maintenance or land management in the summer to actually become part of the co-op and the marketing and distribution of the animal at the end of the season is taken care of. And again, for the people who don't know, want to know where their food comes from or don't like the idea of the animals uh, being raised for meat, maybe they want to raise them for wool, um, you know, they can be leased or taken care of for the summer and they could, um, uh, you know, get that uh, wool crop from them if they're raising something like merino sheep. So there is um, all kinds of potential. I, I personally raise dorsets, so... Um, I'm not familiar with some of the markets for the other sheep, but for the other breeds, but um, um, there's you know some sheep are being raised for milk, so there's all kinds of potential there. And for somebody who might even want to keep sheep around year round in the in the city, um, here's a way to get your forage for free and maybe keep your home-based operation to produce hay um, for wintering them. Okay, what? You, you talked about the meat market. What about what about the market for wool? Is it is there a demand for that as well? Um, more for fibercraft. It's not a big market um, um, like it was at one point in the state of Ohio. There were more sheep um, in the state of Ohio than there are in the entire United States. But that was the height of the wool industry during the Civil War era, when people were dependent on the wool for you know the fiber for their clothing. Um, that's since changed, and um, it's not a huge fiber market. Um, there are a lot of fiber crafters, and that's certainly a niche market for artists and crafters who, who like that fine wool. Um, so that's something that uh, uh, somebody who wanted to be uh, an entrepreneur in that area could identify some fiber artists and maybe um, market directly to them. Yeah. This is just an, another question because I know it's done on some farms and, and, and for other livestock. Is there is there a business model where someone who maybe doesn't want to invest their own labor could lease out their land to someone that does want to raise sheep? Oh, certainly. 
know, um, that's, that's certainly the idea. You don't have to be landowners, utilize land. Um, somebody who wanted to start an operation where they're raising feeder lambs could approach these landowners and do it for them. The more land that you have to graze, the more economy of scale with your labor. So, for example, I once read that the city of Cleveland was spending $3.3 million a year mowing vacant lots. If you could put together, you know, a massive area and get permission from the landowners and have the labor to move them around, um, instead of making a trip to that site for just one site, you could make the rounds to all of these sites and be moving the sheep from place to place and, and potentially be doing making a, a business out of the, the maintenance. But the idea behind this, though, and I want to clarify, is that it's not you drive the sheep into the city and you drop them off and let them graze, and then you pick them up and take them back. Because that totally negates what you're doing with, with, with uh, the emissions from the vehicles. The idea is the sheep are on the site for the season. Now, if you have a bunch of vacant lots that are abandoned, you could move them from block to block as part of your rotational grazing hmm. and move them around that way. But the idea is the sheep are there for the season and, uh, and that somebody is there locally to, um, um, to, to be a shepherd and shepherd them and keep their eyes on them, make sure they've got water and a mineral, they're protected from uh, predators. And uh, the biggest chore is, um, um, you know, um, looking for common sheep ailments and uh, managing them for parasites. Whether or not you like it, whether you're raising sheep, you're raising parasites. And uh, so you, they will um, ideally be um, taken care of with the uh, FLAMASHA methodology, which is an acronym that comes from a couple of gentlemen's names from South Africa who came up with a methodology for um, checking for anemia, which is a sign of the barber pole worm. And um, you evaluate them, and if they are anemic, you'll drench them with a wormer medicine and you want to rotate those wormers and only use them when necessary. And if not, you don't. Um, so that's your biggest labor is to, uh, you know, check on them once a week. And you can make that all into an ag tourism event if you like. Um, bring a border collie out, be moving the sheep around, and you're entertaining the local community. Um, there's all kinds of potential, too, to educate um, the youth or even just the, or all people in the area on uh, fiber crafts and um, um, you know livestock operations and sport of sheepdog herding. People love that. Mm -hmm. So so there's all kinds of things that one could do to make it a community effort. And if you look at most of our major religions in this world, um, a lot is tied to um, sheep and shepherding. So it could be a great potential project for a local community church to do with their kids in the summer. Hmm. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, projects and things that people could be could be doing. Um, I'd like to see sheep everywhere across the landscape. Well, our concept of lawns came from the European estates where they had sheep out grazing. And even during the uh, uh, Wilson era, they had sheep grazing uh, the White House lawn uh, to save money. And um, there's images you can see of sheep being used to maintain the lawn in, in Central Park in New York. 
And they're doing this in, in many cities, you know, across the world, Paris, you know, et cetera, um, and power lines out west. And uh, there's no reason we can't be managing these areas and, and raising sheep and, and uh, saving money, doing the right thing environmentally and having fun with it. Another question that, that came to mind, it could, whether it's an urban area or a rural area or suburb, there's potential for the land being laden with chemicals. Do the, do the sheep have it or get any side effects if they eat grass on a site that's got some contamination levels? Well, the, the one mineral that I, I mean, obviously we want to, you'd want to check your site for contamination, but um, usually if it's an abandoned land, it's usually gone back to an organic state. Hmm. Um, you know, if it's some kind of super fun site, I'd obviously check it. But the mineral that you got to worry about with sheep is copper, and usually that's the first thing that's cleared away anyway. So, hmm. um, yeah, she'd want to do a soil sample in the area and check for it. And again, we talked earlier about, you know, how many sheep per acre. Well, not all grass is created equally. Sometimes we find that the soils have become compacted and they're not, um, you know, there's no infiltration. And so sometimes the vegetation is becoming starved for water and, and, and oxygen. Um, or people scalp their lawns or the, the, they become compacted surfaces. Um, you're going to have to use some 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 judgment in terms of what sites are appropriate for um, for grazing and what the density should be and how often you should rotate. And uh, another barrier might be um, adjacent land use. It's been extremely successful when it's in neighborhood areas, um, whether or areas that are um, secured from, um, you know, human vandals. I don't think we have a problem with human predators because it's not like a, you know, somebody's going to run around with a, a stolen sheep and there's a market for that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to ask you about your May 16th event. What 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 is it? What is the event, and how can people find out more about it? I know I know we're coming up to it pretty quick. Yeah, it's a Saturday, so it's uh, upon us now. Um, we're doing an Urban Shepherds Training Day, and basically um, we are uh, going through uh, the Shepherds calendar, sort of all about sheep. We're, looking, we're teaching people about common sheep ailments, what to look for. We're going to be teaching people how to handle sheep. We're going to be training them on the Flamasha parasite drenching methodology, um, how to handle electric fencing. Um, so basically, uh, hopefully when you go leave from there, you'll feel comfortable starting your own project and, and be prepared to go. Um, that's the idea behind the program. And then, of course, we also encourage people to attend the Ohio Sheep Day, um, which is being held by the Ohio Sheep Improvement Association on July, I think it's 14th this year, whatever that Saturday is. But, yeah, we're going to be doing the programming here. Um, we also will come to other cities if you uh, want us to do it, uh, you know, want us to put on a program there. And, and then we also have um, some other information if you're thinking about starting your program. 
um, just some information on the logistics of it so we can make a better informed decision if this is for you or not. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, wanted to talk about Spicy Lamb Farm a little bit. Um, you mentioned that it's part of the Cuyahoga Valley National Park Farming Program. Can you can you talk a little bit about that, the program itself and how you got involved with it? Um, yes. So about, um, I think it was about 12 years ago or so, the previous superintendent of the Cuyahoga Valley National Park, John Debo, was visiting uh, parks in, in the United Kingdom and England and found that people were living and working on farms in the national park. So he came back to the States and decided to create a model here. So we were the pilot project for all the national parks in the United States. I think there's uh, almost a dozen of us now of these national park farms. Um, but basically, um, when the park was created, they preserved some of these historic farms, and then they've leased them back to people um, to um, maintain the agricultural heritage of the valley. And uh, on my farm, we're raising Dorset sheep. Uh, we have a tall spindle orchard system, and we're raising um, uh, spicy herbs and vegetables. So that's the name of the farm, the Spicy Land. And I look at it as a privilege to get to farm in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park and, um, and to live here. And um, my mission for the farm is obviously to do sustainable farming, but also to provide um, ag tourism opportunities to visitors to the park. We have events throughout the year um, and to um, provide educational programming. Um, maybe people come out in the spring to see the cute little lambs, but if we can get them here, we can educate them on some of these sustainable environmental and farming issues. That's a good thing. So it's a bit of a soapbox for me. So um, hopefully we get people um, making some changes in their own lives and where buying local food, etc. Um, I'm a big advocate of local farming and local food. The average food in the United States now travels about 2,500 miles farm to fork, and that model is not a real sustainable model. And the Countryside Conservancy, which is the nonprofit organization that oversees the national park farms, um, recently did a study of the Cleveland market and found that if we wanted to feed people locally, we need another 8,000 farmers. Mm. So there are some um, uh, challenges to um, getting the word out that uh, urban farming is a great thing to do. As a planner, you go into communities and everybody wants to have a farmer's market. There's not just enough farmers around in the urban areas. Mm. So if we can get people to stop mowing and start growing, um, whether it's grazing with sheep or, or, or raising vegetables or whatever, you know, it could be a combination of homesteading for themselves and selling their excess or trading it at, um, at the local farmer's market. They even started a program around here they call the local food, food swap, where people will produce things and then they'll trade, uh, you know, trade different products. So the, the, the urban farming movement is up and going, and people want to know where their food comes from and know their farmers, and uh, so it's exciting to be part of that program. That's wonderful. Um, what I wanted to ask you about the, your, barn, your barn raising uh, that I saw on your website, is, is, it, is it accurate to say that was a crowdfunding effort? Well, yeah, we raised um, we raised some money beyond um, it, 
well, it's been a very expensive barn to put back together. We're trying mm. to create something that's historically accurate, mm. um, but it turned out it's beautiful. And uh, but we raised through our ag tourism events and some um, and some other donations about twenty thousand dollars. So that was great. Okay. A big help towards raising the barn, and we have the timber frame structure pretty much done. And what we have left to do is the electricity and um, and uh, and some final details, putting in the uh, the final grading and flooring and hooking up the well or the cistern, excuse me. And uh, we'll be there, and so hopefully people can come out and enjoy the farm and and. Uh, and support the farm, and and when they support our local farm, they're not only supporting a, a local family farm, but they're also supporting the Cauga Valley National Park because uh, a percentage of all of our profits goes back to the park. Mm -hmm. So you can feel good about buying from national park farmers because you're buying local food. You know where your food comes from, and uh, and uh, you're supporting your park. What okay. uh, last question I always like to ask folks, Laura, is what legacy do you hope to leave behind? Well, um, the imprint of this farm, I suppose, and if if we can uh, make a difference with Urban Shepherds so that people are are um, um, raising sheep, I'd like to see the sheep industry grow in these non-traditional areas of the urban and suburban areas. And um, and then also would like to see more folks getting into sheepdog herding. You don't have to have a flock of sheep to take up that sport. And uh, and then environmentally, um, we really need to start thinking about um, uh, living more sustainably and um, and uh, protecting resources like our waters and. Uh, doing the right thing. So um, we should all start walking the talk. And as um, the early, our early founding fathers um, would have thought of that they were, um, they, they spent a lot of time talking to the early Native Americans and they said things like, you need to make all of your decisions based on the seventh generation, even if you have to have bark, skin the stick as the bark of a pine tree. Hmm. And it's interesting that we are the seventh generation now today hmm. from our founding fathers. And sometimes I wonder if they wouldn't, uh, um, you know, question uh, our bill of, you know, we all talk about our bill of rights, et cetera, but maybe we should be talking about uh, our bill of responsibilities hmm. um, to uh, preserve the environment. So, yes, um, this is just a small little way, a fun way with Urban Shepherds to get people to do the right thing and, and uh, um, um, you know, reduce some, some environmental impacts and have fun doing it and hopefully uh, make a profit through the local food market. Great. How can listeners connect with you, Laura? Um, go to the website, which is urbanshepherds.org. Or if they're interested specifically in my farm, that's the spicylamb.com. And um, I'd be happy to answer any questions or point them in the right direction of how to get started. Okay. Well, great. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Laura. This has been a real delight and sparked a lot of ideas and thoughts, and I'm sure the audience will like as well. Okay, well, hopefully everyone out there will um, start looking at their zoning and their land and, and uh, consider grazing sheep. Okay. Well, Thank you for having me on your program. Yes, and, and good luck with your event this weekend. And as soon as I have the, the podcast published, I will email that to you. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you so very much. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, thank you for tuning in to episode 30 of the Outstanding Ohioans show. That was a great interview with Laura DeYoung of the Spicy Lamb Farm and Executive Director of Urban Shepherds. Hope, thank you for listening. Please take the time to go to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating and review on the show. Have a great day.